thinking behind it all with Melusinas. The thinking behind it all. Welcome to the 13th episode of TTBIA, the thinking behind it all. Your only pro-black slash pan-Africanist podcast. We are glad to have you listening to us for the 13th time. With me, I've got Ubusi and I've got Ricardo. It will be the three of us taking you through the 13th episode. Remember that you can join the conversation on Facebook. Look for the thinking behind it all. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TTBIA underscore. Just a proviso. Though we are a pro-black podcast, we do not claim to represent the views of every black person in the globe. And we do speak so from our own perspective. The usual suspect's perspective. All right. Guys, I just want to know what stood out for you this past week. Ricardo? What stood out for me was another example of weaponizing of police against um, black people. In this case, it was an eight-year-old girl who was selling water outside of her building. And God forbid she didn't have a permit. And um, (laughs) one of her neighbors... uh, called the police on her and uh then went on national tv and started crying about how she was receiving death threats so yeah that, that's kind of what i've been following this week it's quite an appalling story isn't it yep so now it's uh barbecuing while black sleeping while black driving while black and now selling water while black <laughs> the sleeping oh, while black is the one on. from the hey. university student is not yes from mm-hmm. yale uh-huh sleeping yeah. while black um, if anything yeah, about that story, tough, at least tough. it had some kind of a happy ending, if we can call it that. I mean, we always have to be optimist. Mm-hmm. It seems like they did manage to raise the funds for the trip to Disney World. Is that what the child was trying to do? I believe someone actually donated t- four tickets. I can't remember who the person was now, but someone actually purchased the tickets for them oh. to go to Disneyland. So white yeah. people are not that bad after all. Assuming it was a white I don't know person. if the person was white or not, but <laughs> <laughs> why we assumed they were white just because they had the money to buy the tickets. They had to rectify the mistake. Come on, you know that, like, yeah, no, everybody will be crying foul, telling us uh, how bad white folk are again, and so on and so forth. The police, systemic injustice, racism, and all of that. So you know. A bit of PR for the white race wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Pussy, what stood out for you? About six days ago, Mnangagwa and the Ethiopian Prime Minister were both 
under attack and both suspected to be grenade attacks but what's been interesting about the Zimbabwe case and I was actually watching the BBC interview with Mnangagwa and he was saying that he just thinks it's just yeah the hey, in the in the interview he actually says I'm as soft as wool I'm literally quoting him that's what he said guys he said I'm as soft as wool but anyway that's other news but What's been interesting about the Zimbabwe case is that one of the ZANU-PF spokespeople said that they're not sure if the, the attack was for Mnangagwa or if it was for Chiwenga because technically Mnangagwa has just left the stage and then the blast happened just as Chiwenga was about to leave the stage. So, And apparently it's rare that somebody would target both of those two people at the same time time i suppose um so i don't know really what's who and i think that's the big question in zimbabwe who conducted this attack and also in ethiopia i mean who's conducting these attacks on the same day conspiracy theory are these correlated are these people trying to you know take them all out on one day i don't know what do they speculate they basically do not believe it's the opposition party, or at least in the one article, they say that experts do not believe it is the opposition party, only uh, because well, Chuenga is involved. The MDC has never been able to do anything, so... <sighs> I mean, they're like the high school boys <sighs> making noise. Uh, They've been doing that for the past how many years? 10, 15 years? So much so, Mugabe even had to laugh at them at times. Like, no, I don't have time for boys. <laughs> Mnangagwa is saying that they need to figure out who it is so that they can figure out the bigger network of people who are trying to because it's I mean really that it's a lone wolf right so it must be some sort of bigger collaboration of sorts yeah I would think it must be um, some third force clearly there's a player within the Zimbabwean politics and I would take it it's someone externally or yeah. a group externally trying to influence Zimbabwean politics going into an election. So it's definitely a situation that needs to be looked at in the month. I find so the go. method, I find the weapon used the interesting. Grenade. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot harder to get a grenade than to get a gun. Like, I mean, so yeah. where, where are they getting grenades from? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, wouldn't that almost make you think there's some kind of military component to this somehow? Some way? Well, maybe not. I mean, all it takes is one corrupt person to sell someone grenades, right? But Just because it's know, easy to that, get guns in America doesn't mean it's easy everywhere else, eh? Just saying. That's true. I don't think you're legally allowed Bro, to have a I have to say, you don't think it's easy. <laughs> You don't I think was just throwing shade at oh. him. That's all. Right. <laughs> hey, oh my goodness. Shady. I think it was interesting. They even suspected Grace. And it's interesting in the video because Nangagwa basically says that Grace was a political tool that was used against him. He actually used those words that she was a political tool that was being used against him. So I'm like, mm. That's a lot of shade as well there. So what stood out for me this past week, of course, who else than Helen Zilla would be making news in South Africa again. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not for the right reasons. Um, mm-hmm. She took it upon herself to write what she believes to be a masterpiece of an opinion in which she outlines critical race analysis of contemporary South African politics and she basically goes on to talk about 
whether black people can be racist because she is a white woman she's in a position to make that opinion and she also goes on to defend her views pertaining to colonialism so if people are surprised about whom i'm talking about helen zeller is a premier in the western cape one of south africa's provinces she used to be a leader of the official opposition the democratic alliance and of course her claim to fame is that she's the one who wrote about the steve biko case now steve biko is a black consciousness activist during the apartheid era who was killed by the police force because that's what it was called back then he was killed the most heinous way dragged by police after tying him to the back of a van so she got the big scoop and somehow they cloaked her in this veil of superstardom and heroism as if to say you know for being the one who wrote that story she's now a person that is clued up on race issues she believes in a non-racial south africa and an inclusive equal society for all but of course i mean in the recent years she has discovered twitter and her tweets have been quite remarkable from going to stating that colonialism was not such a bad thing was in fact a good thing for south africa to <laughs> claiming that <laughs> that's the so stupid I, I remember reading that article well, well for colonialism remember it's, it's given us running water and electricity i'm like She's just, she's just a white denialist. She's just a white denialist. That's the bottom line. To claiming mm-hmm. that black people are racist and so on and so forth. So, I mean, of course, Black Twitter didn't like this. Melusi didn't like this. I don't know if uh, other members of TTPIA maybe approved Lucy of it. Melusi did not like this. <laughs> <laughs> this behavior does not like that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, the tone of this in media hasn't been really one of outrage. And maybe one uh, can... We are tired. She's yeah, been doing this. Maybe, we're yeah, tired. That's what I'm thinking. That maybe is pe- are people just tired or is it just because, you know what, we're trying to do some damage control. Because the DA has been in the news for the wrong reasons. I mean, they just lost the petition, the low case as well. Remember, um, uh, we've spoken, uh, me and Emma spoken about like privately... I think South Africa could be the test bed for black racists because as a majority black country, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, in 50 years in South Africa, maybe black people can, maybe there can be black I mean, if Helen in, Zilla in continues Africa. like this, if Helen Zilla continues like this, guys, me, I wouldn't blame. <laughs> no, but guys, seriously, like, I think we have to think like people react in particular way to certain circumstances and when people like Helen Zilla are doing things like this like what do they expect do you know what I mean like when they continuously deny colonization continuously deny black struggle and white, wow and white privilege hey the whole PA leadership is just 
I don't know. They're too extraordinary for me. Anyway, that's what stood out for me. I feel like Daily Maverick should just stop her from writing any more articles at this point. Like, I feel like, you know what, with, with her, when I read that article... How can you what, expect that from a WMC media house? Come on. Yeah, wait, hold on. I was going to say, like, from her article, I think at first it made sense. Like, at first I was like, okay, we need to talk about the economy. Cool. Vibes, right? But then I was like, but then why are we denying racism? Like, these two conversations can coexist, right? Like, it doesn't have to be like, okay, now we're only focusing on the economy and growth and we're going to like ignore race mm-hmm. and everything else and then now we're going to talk about racism and blah blah like these two conversations can coexist and she's almost right. they're not mutually hierarchy. Mm-hmm. yeah she wants yeah. it to be a hierarchy she wants us to talk about the economy and not about race and obviously right our economy is affected by racism if you have any comment about what we've just discussed in the usp section please feel free to join the conversation on facebook the thinking behind it all or you can go on Twitter at TTBIA underscore at TTBIA underscore. Let us know what you think. And let's engage. The Me Too movement is an international movement against sexual harassment and assault. Me Too spread virally in October 2017 as a hashtag used on social media to help demonstrate the widespread prevalence of sexual assault and harassment, especially in the workplace. It followed soon after the public revelations of sexual misconduct allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Diana Burke, however, a social activist and community organizer, began using the phrase Me Too in 2006. And the phrase was popularized by Elisa Milano in 2017 when she encouraged women to tweet about it and give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. One of the outcomes of the Me Too movement in the United States of America has been the consideration of a sexual assault survivor's bill of rights. The bill of rights would codify certain rights for people reporting assaults, like having their rape kits preserved and forensic testing subsidized in all 50 states. During testimony given before Congress on Tuesday, June 26, actor Terry Crews, a legendary producer from the film Expendables 4, pressured the Brooklyn Nine-Nine star to no longer pursue a sexual assault lawsuit against a Hollywood executive. Cruz, who previously said he was assaulted by an anonymous Hollywood executive during a party in 2016. In 2016, while at a party with my wife, I was sexually assaulted by a successful Hollywood agent. The assault lasted only minutes, but what he was effectively telling me while he held my genitals in his hand was that he held the power. Later identified Adam Bennett as the one who had allegedly assaulted him. In November of the year of the assault, Cruz reported the incident to the Los Angeles Police Department and following an investigation, the prosecutors decided that the charges would not be filed as the incident falls outside the statute of limitations. In another statement, Cruz has also said that he is not a small or insecure man, but in the moment and in that time followed, he's never felt more emasculated. He says that watching women step forward as part of the Me Too movement, this shame washed over him again and again and he knew he had to act. While a lot of people have been pouring support towards the actor, not everyone has been so supportive. Rapper 50 Cent uploaded a post to Instagram, which appears to Mark Cruz 
and in this instagram post he said lol what the f is going on out here man terry i froze in fear they would have had to take me to jail get the strap <laughs> terry cruz me too moment has turned into victim shaming my take is that focusing on what terry cruz should have and could have done in that moment of flight or fight detracts from the gravity of the sexual assault it is reflective of how the burden of a sexual assault is placed on the victim rather than the perpetrator and partially explains why sexual assault victims do not always come forward so Buti, this matter clearly is of great importance to you and it's with regards to the victim in this particular case do you feel that men are treated differently when it comes to sexual harassment to women i care about the topic because of the larger implications it's not just about terry cruz i do think that sexual assault towards boys and men is also rampant it's just not in the mainstream of conversation like especially when we look at the catholic church and kind of the history there as well but i think the way we speak about these things are different and i was talking to ricardo earlier and saying that when we talk about terry cruz we say why did he not physically respond why did he not you know beat him up or so forth but when we talk about women we don't say why didn't you beat him up you know we say did you say no did you scream did you and so the the, the conversation the words that we use or how we perceive these situations is different and the way we talk about them is different 50 cents response to this matter i believe you are taking exception to it why is it because of what you just said 50 cent is just insensitive first of all and second of all i think that he he did say that because it is a man and um because terry cruz is a man and because of terry cruz size because we know that terry cruz is a man who's physically large you know society expects him to have responded a particular way and i do think it's that masculinity thing of why did you not fight because terry cruz did say that he froze and so i think in 50 cent is just displaying uh, toxic masculinity yes mm. toxic masculinity and rape jokes right because i think people do make a lot of rape jokes and they're not acceptable and they're not okay ricardo yes we can call out 50 for being insensitive and of course ricardo is probably going to make reference to the fact that i am a 50 cent fan but <laughs> Surely, it also speaks to the psychology of someone like 50. I mean, he's made a joke about this, but it wasn't a joke in the sense to humiliate him. It speaks more about his social upbringing, his psychology as a black man who has had the life experience that he had. What are your thoughts? Uh, no, I think it was absolutely said to humiliate him. <laughs> I, I don't know why I should feel otherwise. Um, all the things that you said are valid. Um, 50 Cent's upbringing. And that also leads to, uh, goes to what Boosty said about, put it like this. We are in a society where you can make rape jokes or sexual harassment jokes about men, although you necessarily couldn't do that about women because men are thought of as not being actual victims of said abuse. Or if they do, 
they, they somehow invited it or didn't do enough to stop it or prevent it from happening so just as a small example we can all make a joke about a man being sexually assaulted in jail oh don't drop the soap blah 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 you know what i mean but i don't think it would necessarily come off the same if we're speaking about a woman in such terms um specifically in black communities sometimes i believe that we fall into a trap of hyper masculinity and and i think 50 cent was exhibiting that behavior with his comments sure he thought please elaborate on the humiliation that you believe he was intending to exert how do i believe he was trying to humiliate him he referenced him specifically and 50 cent has a very large following so i guess i I guess i'm saying why would we give him the benefit of the doubt i mean 50 cent is known for humiliating people why do we feel that this was an innocent joke now i don't think anyone's making a claim for it to be an innocent joke um it's far from it far from being an innocent joke but mm-hmm. if anything there's a larger story here to take into consideration for many black men who've had a township or ghetto upbringing we deal with violence sex crimes quite differently from men who had a different upbringing and i don't think that should be ignored i don't know how we'd want to say simply well it's just to humiliate but i didn't say that i didn't say it should be ignored i just said that what your point your point is valid but that doesn't mean that he also didn't do it to humiliate him if he did it to humiliate him busi why do you think it is so this is my thing i think i can't think of any good reason why he would have tweeted that response right like and especially on where it's written and he actually deleted it because i think he realized that what he had done was wrong right like he deleted that post for a reason and so i don't know i just i don't know why you would tweet that when a man stands in front of a senate hearing and speaks about his sexual experience in front of you know the world and you feel like that's okay to tweet that like i don't know ricardo you grew up in the hood right yes i did (laughs) have you found yourself in a position where you've made statements and it was not for necessary the intent to say you want to hurt the other person deliberately but it's because of how you've come to be because of your upbringing and afterwards you realize that oh actually that's not cool i think that i've had i'm asking this because i've done it before so this is not this is not unique to me what 50 cent did is not unique right and i don't think that it's new unique to even just people in the hood i think everyone has sometimes Mm -hmm. in their life said something insensitive to get a rise out of someone choke with your friends basically make make light of another person's situation to gain favor applause something like that right i think we've all done it i don't think it's just 
necessarily a symptom of the ghetto. Ricardo, I don't understand your argument. Can you please elaborate? Uh, yes, it's not just about the ghetto, but we're talking about the ghetto experience, yeah? Can you elaborate, please? Um, first of all, I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you that you're saying that you're, I believe that you're trying to say as a person who grew up in the hood, the, this kind of behavior is commonplace, right? And I'm telling you that I think behavior or jokes like that is commonplace even outside of the hood. People mm -hmm. joking about rape and things of that nature. I don't think it's just exclusive to the hood. That, 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 that's my point. Indeed, it's not exclusive to the hood, but can you focus on the experience, the hood experience? I guess I, I'm confused. Why exactly? Because we're trying to understand the frame of mind that someone like 50 would have been in to go and mm -hmm. do this if we accept that he has gone and humiliated mm -hmm. Terry in this particular situation. So I'm just trying to get to the point that mm -hmm. surely we can understand that this is a symptom that goes beyond just one individual and one case. and. I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it it just mm -hmm. illustrates that we need to attend to a bigger social issue than just this one and try and see it as 50 responding to Terry when Terry was harassed sexually. 50 Cent is a jerk, right? I mean, he just is. He's always been, he's unapologetic. Even to his own son. Yeah. So... If we, we want to say this is a causality of the way 50 Cent has been raised and the environment in which he was raised, there's always an element to that. But I think it breaks the bounds of socioeconomics, to be honest with you, this specific instance. Because I could see a rich white man making the same joke 50 Cent made, maybe with different words. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, just as a man. Oh, how could you allow another man to do that to you? If that was me, I would have got my gun and did this and that to the person. LOL. You know. I wonder how that would have been know. received. Ooh, Black Twitter would have been down that person's throat too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of fish, right? If one of uh, a rich white man said it. Definitely. <laughs> Apart from Black Twitter, though, I'm also just wondering how the mainstream narrative would have been. We see in uh, one of the articles citing the story, Terry's wife was attributed certain comments in relation to black men that she often encourages him to be nonviolent, to keep calm, and not to get involved. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. Is this the kind of <clears throat> man or society that we should be building a man that is not inclined to defend himself? I feel like that's a very dense question only because I think she's saying, look, if you are provoked in your workspace, do not respond. And I like um, that Terry Crews says that as a black man in america he's, he only has one chance so at the same time we want our children to be strong to defend themselves to stand for their positions but we also have to understand that there's systematic challenges and constraints to this right imagine this terry cruz responds and starts beating the 
producer up right and they call the police and the police first thing they get there is shoot him right so there are real threats to black bodies physically right that we experience when we defend ourselves and we cannot ignore that especially like as black men who are already feared in spaces right and i don't want it to apply to just men i think we want to raise women and girls and all sorts of all our children we want them to be able to defend our, themselves but we also still have to understand the systematic constraints always with girls we have to understand that sometimes men are a physical threat to our bodies so as much as we want to stand back and say certain things and do certain things we aren't always able to do so ricardo how do we overcome this seeing that there's a systemic we, element to this as to uh, why black men should be reluctant to defend themselves especially if the attacker is a white person so before i answer your question i would like to point out that terry cruz did defend himself eventually he did stop the person from harassing him it's just that the here's the real the real contention lies especially within among men and even more specifically black men a lot of people felt he should have done more he should have just beat him up because he's a bigger person but he stopped the assault and but yet we feel like he should have done more now let's flip the script if it was a woman who broke away from the attack would we say you should go back and beat him up mm. now but to answer answer your question what can we do about it until black people specifically black men are stopped being viewed as ultra aggressive and are not given the benefit of the doubt for defending themselves i don't know if there's anything that we necessarily can do so we should just continue as is hope that the white men will have some mercy at some point in time and stop viewing us as ultra aggressive is that what you think that's what you're implying no you asked me what should we do i said i don't know and then you said what you just said how do yes. i imply that based on what you've just so i'm inferring not knowing the I'm answer because you so said that uh -huh. you don't see it stopping so i'm inferring from that so you're i'm saying i don't know how to stop it i don't know how to make white people look at black people as being less aggressive you know what oh why are you angry when but, you're just looking how you always look I but doesn't this actually know. speak I'm to the white. powerlessness of us as black men though in the society that we find ourselves in a position where we don't actually have any solution to dealing with systemic violence because that's what it is isn't it but this is also i think we have to think of it through the lens of sexual violence and i think in, if you follow the me too conversation a lot it's really about teaching people consent right it's teaching people the like how to say no and how to accept no in, when it comes to people's physical bodies so i think the issue of sexual assault really is stems from the fact that certain people at least feel entitled to others bodies and we need to teach people that that's not how it should be and i think especially when it comes to men and women violence it's obviously like we talk about it's patriarchy it's about who feels entitled to whose body and in this case when we talk about white people and black people and the historic the history of it all 
and how black bodies have been treated it's there's a sense of entitlement there so i do think that one of the ways one of the ways so there's multiple ways is teaching consent from a very young age teaching people that there are boundaries and it's so easy to teach this to children like i've seen so many stories of parents who are like my child you know like teaching your kids like simple things it sounds silly but simple things like your child can say no to kisses from their uncles and aunts right like the the ability to claim your body but at the same time it's also the other person's responsibility to respect your boundaries so go for an approach where you try to reach out to white people and let them understand as well that this is not cool and um respect others and so on and so forth and, and hope for the no, best. No, it's grassroots. It's all children. No, it's all sure. children. It's not just white children. It's black children. Because I do think, and especially in the South African context, that the perpetrator of sexual violence is a black man, right? So I think what? it's all children. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, no. So the only... So you you, you believe the, the perpetrator of sexual thing? violence is a black man? What about black? What about the white man who's been perpetuating no, sexual I'm crimes? No, I'm talking about of course white men have been doing so for a very long time. But I'm saying when you look at the current statistics, when you look at domestic violence in South Africa, right? When you well, in the population where you have eighty percent to ninety percent black people, what do you expect? But does this mean in, how, in white households we don't have we, such white men who do that? No, I'm not saying we're not, not, that's not what I was actually saying. What I was saying is that it's a crossword. That's what I was drawing your attention to. That it's not just about teaching white men or white women about boundaries. I was saying that our crossword, even black girls, right? Like when you read stories of Chris Brown having lost his virginity when he was like 13 to like a 16 year old girl who are both black, that's still sexual assault because, you know, he's so young. Like, if he's sleeping with the girls, like, 18 or whatever, he's still so young. So I think that's what I'm saying, that it's a cross-board conversation that needs to happen. But I do take issue with how this conversation often gets skewed in media in terms of the black man or the black person being the center of the problem often in these discussions. Whether statistically speaking in South Africa, it is so or not. But you find that even in American media or perhaps even UK media or any other media that we as black men are the ones who will be represented in this particular way. Am I saying that black men don't commit sex crimes? No, I'm not saying that. But at the same time, this goes to a certain agenda if anything and it is problematic because it creates impressions and that's why you find that some people become reluctant in participating in these discussions is this back to the men are trash pushback <clears throat> i think in south africa no this is the thing i think when it comes to black men particularly in south african context and i, I don't want to you know generalize too much but i do think that it's still a very gendered way as a black woman in south africa you interact mostly with black men right like let's say you live in a village somewhere and this is your life right like you interact mostly with black men so to you right who is the perpetrator in your case and i do think that especially in our cultures there's a culture of silence particularly when it happens within the family so if a child is raped within the family there's this hush hush 
strategy that is taken upon not to disclose this outside not to take the uncle to jail and so forth so i do think that, that that's something that i'm really personally concerned with that in our cultures we protect men and women right maybe the boy children don't speak as often but we protect the men as well within our cultures in our families so i grew up in an environment where men actually some were violent i'm not going to say they weren't in my hood but at the same time but you know the most crass things about women opinions and ill treatment of women i actually heard it and learned about it from who was white men strangely enough so this narrative in itself for me is very problematic especially when we want to zone in specifically focusing on vilifying the black man if we say it's a societal problem let it be a societal problem let it be addressed accordingly but we can't just want in to say that oh black man you're the one who needs to step in line and then when we only mention the white man like oh yeah no of course the white man as well but mm-hmm. ricardo i don't know in closing comments so so can can i bring this way back a little bit i just like to rewind the conversation a bit and remember just remember how we got to this point right you specifically mentioned white people right and then boosie basically at least boosie could correct me she's saying it's not just white men it's men it's people in general so i think her comments specifically bringing up black men it was in relationship to try to tell to point out to you that this goes beyond just white men showing their dominance over black bodies because black people men and women we do it to one another as well i think that's why she brought up what she brought up in relationship to what you said but i could be mistaken that's what i said ricardo you're right you're right you're right On Friday, Press Secretary to the White House, Sarah Huckleberry Sanders, went out to eat with her family in Virginia at a restaurant called The Red Hen, owned by Stephanie Wilkinson. Wilkinson wasn't on the premises when Sanders arrived. She received a phone call from a staff member telling her that Sanders was there and that some of the staff felt uncomfortable serving her because of her views and defense of policies they deemed discriminated against people of the LGBTQ community as well as immigrants. Wilkinson then went to the restaurant and had a meeting with her staff. At the conclusion of that meeting, she asked Sanders to leave the restaurant and Sanders left. Sanders then went to social media and tweeted about the experience and said that this reflects more on the restaurant owner Wilkinson than it did on her and how she tried to treat people with civility when she met them. On Sunday, Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California had a rally and here's what she had to say. Members 
of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who sang no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And guess what? We're going to win this battle because while you try and quote the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. On the side of the children. On the side of what's right. On the side of what's honorable. On the side of understanding that if we can't protect the children, we can't protect anybody. And so, let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. So, this clip has led to a lot of backlash from conservative media as well as more liberal media. The Washington Post had a editorial team put up a article called Let the Trump Staff Eat in Peace or something to that effect. We have CNN pundits speaking about the lowering of the bar and how it was politically unsound for Democrats to do that, to stoop to levels that we have usually seen in the last 10 years by Republicans. My thing is, why is this a debate now that liberals or Democrats or more progressive-leaning people are fighting back against injustices that they are seeing with civil disobedience, especially in the United States that was founded on civil disobedience. And it's a core fabric of our culture. Ricardo, what do you make of the response from the media in general in relation to the story? What upsets you? What are you content with? What are the key points that you think we should draw from this as a pro-black group? I'm actually a little surprised by the reaction of more liberal publications and media outlets. And maybe I shouldn't be, because maybe the race plays a part here. When we talk about black people seeming to be more aggressive this applies to both men and women so with maxine waters comments people even uh, on more liberal publications use words like attack harass bully and things of this nature where she didn't say harass attack or bully at any point in her speech but yet these are the words that predominantly white media liberal or conservative used to describe a black woman's words or intent Busi, do you think the media is just simply trying to advocate for people to be cordial not necessarily i just think that 
her words are being misconstrued. I think that if it had been said by somebody else, we wouldn't, or somebody of a different gender, different race, we would probably have a different analysis of the situation. I mean, I'm just thinking of all the things that Trump has said and the response, yes, there's been anger, but this is different. I mean, she's even being like, I think I saw something about assault charges being filed against her, right? Like, I think this is a very different ball game compared to what we've discussed before. And I don't think it's about being cordial. I think it's just about who is being analyzed. But then, Ricardo, don't you think that the liberal media, if anything, they're concerned that should we accept this as a precedence, what does it mean? Isn't it leaning towards what typical conservatives, at least how they are perceived to be in the United States. Uh, isn't it leaning it towards their ideology? They're stooping to their level, right? And and I guess my response to that is, but they're winning, <laughs> right? They've changed how politics ha- is conducted in the United States. Um, this has been going on for almost 10 years now right after Barack Obama was elected and the creation of the Tea Party, where they have thrown the rule books out the window for civil politic, for whatever that is worth, you know. So I look at it and I go, the rules have already changed. It's then up to Democrats or liberals or progressive to change with these rules. To what end, though, Busi, what do we do in a situation where the conservatives are saying, well, that's how we shall then continue. You were really blaming us of being separatists, if I can use that word, or discriminating against certain groups or certain people or certain ideologies. So now that you have clearly drawn the lines as well as quote unquote liberals, at least now we are all free to do so. Right of admission shall be reserved. Where do we hold people accountable when it comes to freedom of speech and when is it not acceptable? And I think that's a general United States discussion about what is okay and what is not okay. And I don't think that the conservatives are not going to change their ways, right? They actually have been pushed back against um, Maxine Waters. I saw that Trump tweeted that she has an extraordinarily low IQ and all these other just terrible things. And I'm just like, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. It's up to the liberals whether they're going to push back or fight fire with fire. And I think fire with fire is not going to win, do anyone any good, honestly. But then long term, do we accept then that yes, you as a black man don't expect to be welcome not that you should already but of course i mean we do have egalitarians amongst us don't expect to be welcomed with open arms in white establishments and it should be okay i mean i don't think it's ever okay right like just because something happens doesn't mean it's okay and i think that maxine waters has never i feel based on the videos that i've watched of her i don't think she's ever expected to be accepted in these spaces i think what stands out to me is that she says look i've had people protest me all the time and i'm okay with that because that's the american way she's actually said that but she's also said that when but these are death threats right so this is a different 
scenario because before people protested her and she was okay with that but now there are death threats towards her and i do think that that changes things like a lot actually not just a little bit that changes things a lot so what's the social discourse ricardo going forward i mean we clearly seeing that the media um on both sides is not taking kind to the sentiments maxine waters is clearly not the flavor of the month in the good sense of the word what's society saying at least from your engagement i think society still thinks that it's 2005 or 2008 and it's not and and they're they're they're, they're conducting their, their business under the belief that incivility isn't already here or that civility was ever here and if you're a black person when was life ever civil for you as a black person in america you know <laughs> so from a black person's perspective i just look at it as like this is not new it's just that white people are just now being exposed more to the incivility of white conservatism white nationalism white supremacy and as far as I guess you know I disagree with Boosie in this instance because when we talk about fighting fire with fire and you and when you mentioned you know black people not being welcomed in white establishments and such so, and and so on and so forth I look at it as this there's a distinct difference between discriminating against someone from what they do than who they are like if you hold kids hostage for political gain to get money to build a wall i think i'm within my right to say that's wrong and then show my displeasure by not wanting to associate with you and banning you from any establishment in which i own because i don't agree with what you're doing not necessarily who you are or what you are right so when you say well then they're going to ban black people and i go they're going to ban me from being i have no control over being black <laughs> i mean so i think there is a distinction there at least under the law i mean uh yes i know you're going to say there's ways of circumventing the law of course but i don't think it's the same sort of fight if public shaming has gone on since forever it honestly keeps people in check public shaming i think more than many things keeps civility in society I don't think that the question is whether it's been done for the right reason at least not in this podcast. I mean it's clear why Maxine Waters is doing the politics there too. If anything, I'm just wondering as to the precedence. It was already there and it was being resisted, but are we saying that we accept that precedence? going forth because as you correctly pointed out it will be circumvented you know it's easy to say that it's not because of who he is or who she is it's more about what they have done and so on and so forth i honestly feel that the way american politics is and how the deck is abnormally stacked against progressive thought social freedoms that 
sometimes you have to take a risk so i'll give you an example so there's been some supreme court rulings that have come down recently and they've come down on partisan lines right now two years ago when the republicans ruled the senate and and, and they still do the senate and, and um the house of representatives they refused to vote on a supreme court justice replacement made by barack obama they absolutely refused it's never happened before ever in american politics 200 plus years that's never happened republicans set a, a certain or lowered a certain standard they said we're not gonna follow political norms anymore to get what we want so now we are faced with a supreme court that's heavily conservative and so two days ago another moderate justice has just retired and donald trump's gonna pick a person to replace him and that person's also going to be conservative right so judicially people of liberal or progressive leanings are are, are going to be against the eight ball due to basically dirty tactics that's never been done before right they've upped the ante look at voting for example elect the electoral college the last two Republicans who've won the presidential election did not win the popular vote. They used an antiquated system to lessen the value of individuals' vote. I mean, in my opinion, that's wrong. So when all civil, politically correct avenues are closed to you, what do you do next? Do you just roll over and say, oh, well... Or do you go, well, now it's time to try something else. We're going to try to do what they do to even the, even the playing field. Busi, the game has changed, as Ricardo has pointed out. Whether we like it or not, the game has changed. And I don't think it's only in American politics. So do we then accept that this is part of the evolution of politics and the kind of trickery that politicians can get up to? That's not to say previous practices were pure, but what do we do from here onwards? How do people discuss and what kind of discourse do we have around politics? So yeah, I certainly think that um, politics are evolving. And just to Ricardo, I do. I think I don't think I was disagreeing as much about what the Republicans are doing. I do agree that if she votes that the company can't bake cake for a gay couple, then companies should also choose not to serve her. I definitely agree with that because if you choose discrimination, I mean, like really, you know. So I think it's more about what I was trying to say, and this is, comes back to this question that you've just asked, Melusi, that what i guess is the response in the long term i think sometimes so yes politics are changing in a more negative way or however way you want to explain it so the question ultimately is are the people on the other side going to join these people to play on their playing ground or are they going to change the game in another way and i feel like that's always the million dollar question is how do you change an already existing system that's going a particular direction i mean like i spend all my time studying how do you change political you know institutions so that they're good institutions i would uh, agree with that and say that it's an evolutionary process that we just happen to be witnessing at this point in time whereas Perhaps at the time when we were born and 
grasping with politics that our parents or grandparents were discussing those kind of politics had matured that dirtiness at least was already matured and now the stakes are changing there's new ways of accessing information and if anything the limits or the boundaries of our democratic principles be it in a South African form of democracy or an American form of democracy, those are constantly tested. 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 In about a week or so, the United Kingdom will be celebrating 70 years of the National Health Service. The NHI was born on July 5, 1948 out of a long-held ideal that good health care should be available to all regardless of wealth. When Health Secretary at the time opened Park Hospital in Manchester, it was the climax of a hugely ambitious plan to bring good health care to all and in so doing transform the health system of the United Kingdom. The NHS was the British response to address the severe effects of the two wars and Great Depression that had left the nation with severe poverty and inequality. For the first time, hospitals, doctors, nurses, pharmacists and other healthcare workers were brought together under one umbrella organisation, the NHS, that is free for all at the point of delivery. The central principles were clear. The health service will be available to all and financed entirely from taxation which means that people pay into it according to their means. The rich must subsidize the poor to establish and provide universal health care. At the time of conception, little was realized then that the NHS would become an important model for equitable access to universal health care. Universal health care, however, started in Norway in 1912. The World Health Organization has declared universal health care as best and only policy option to address health inequalities globally and so has the united nations in its sustainable development goals sdg3 states ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all at all ages universal health care has become accepted as a norm and the best option to address national challenges of poverty and inequalities in health in the united states it's called obamacare over 100 countries have adopted or are in the process of moving into NHI or National Health Insurance. However, in 2016, only 60 of the world's 192 countries are thought to have achieved universal health coverage, leaving 40% of the world's population with no healthcare coverage and many of the rest with partial coverage that still leaves them exposed to catastrophic healthcare costs. Before the UN and WHO suggestions, South Africa's NPC had recommended national health insurance as the policy option to address the triple challenges of poverty, inequality and unemployment in 2012. This was endorsed by all political parties in parliament. Healthcare is by its very nature the root of any country's social, political and economic reform. In December 2015, the boldest policy proposal yet was put forward, the White Paper, which provoked strong public reaction and debate. Health Minister Aaron Mutsuledi has described national health insurance as the land question of the health sector. The NHI envisages a system where there is universal free health care for all, doing away with the two-tiered system in South Africa, the public and private health care sectors. 
only 10% of South Africans can afford what has been charged in private healthcare. The minister said that the essence of the NHI is that the rich will subsidize the poor, the young will subsidize the old, and healthy must subsidize the sick. Currently, it's the opposite. At present, the poor subsidize the rich, and we will attempt to show that. Those are the words of the health minister. South Africa aspires for a system similar to that of the United Kingdom's NHS, where there's a public payer. A key feature of this system is that it has a single public sector fund with mandatory membership. Although it is often tax-funded, in South Africa, this option is not necessarily viable. Some of the advantages associated with this model is equity, larger scope for raising resources, potential administrative efficiency, strategic purchasing of opportunities, coordination of care, no need for risk equalization, Payer power helps control costs. The disadvantages, however, include sensitivity to political pressure, potential inefficiencies from lack of competition, funding can be unstable if government finances deteriorate, lack of responsive to responsiveness to member needs, lack of choice and innovation, and downward pressure on price can cause provider dissatisfaction. As the UK has shown, even after 70 years, funding, staff and resources remain a challenge. In South Africa, fears over max exodus of doctors and the question of implementation and funding remain the elephants in the room. While universal healthcare coverage is a desirable goal for all, the question remains, how will South Africa achieve this is it feasible right now? And what is the best way to implement the program without completely collapsing the healthcare model? So, Busi, do you believe that the implementation of a universal health system in South Africa is problematic? No, I don't think it's problematic. I think it's about how we go about it. And I would say that First and foremost, we need to focus on primary care before we can consider secondary and tertiary care. So I think it's not a problematic thing. And I do think that it has large benefits if we can at least provide primary care across board for all and in an accessible way. Would you say that the current system is failing or succeeding in taking care of South Africans? I think the current system has mixed outcomes. I think some clinics do very well and I think some clinics do poorly and it's the same across board, the hospitals and so forth. I do think that our professionals, our health professionals are, are of very high quality and it's just a matter of shortage at times and a shortage of resources. So I don't, I wouldn't have a straightforward answer and i do know that media usually says that our healthcare is failing and you know it's like usually a negative um tune to it but i'd say that when you look at the data you'll find that it's more mixed effects and maybe slightly negative but i wouldn't say that it's mostly negative so ricardo such a bold move by the government and already we can see that it's not well received in mainstream media in as far as at least how people discuss the minister's role in all of this and his actions in relation to some of the decisions taken about health. 
in essence, what I'm saying is, how should a country like South Africa deal with this, seeing that a large majority of its population are working class? And more importantly, there's high unemployment levels. I think that a lot of the pushback is because they're not necessarily people who suffer from there not being a national health care system in place. For them, it's just a numbers thing. They just look at the numbers and they don't look at the actual impact on lives saved, quality of life to be gained in such an action. All they think about is, well, who's going to pay for it? How's this going to be funded? Well, And those are legitimate questions. To me, those are just obstacles to be overcome, not necessarily barriers to entry. Then they'll ask you, though, how do we overcome those? Is taxing rich people a solution? Taxing rich, rich people is always a solution. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the funny thing about, about taxes. Many rich people will, of course, complain and scream to high heaven about how they're being so heavily taxed. But for the most part, they just go along with it, you know, because they're in a position where they can often get something in return for their higher taxes, you know? I honestly think it's excuse making and people don't want to do something that they feel is different from the norm, it's too progressive, it's communist, it's socialist. And you hear these labels, at least especially in the United States, you get these labels attached to things and people don't actually look at if it can work or not. Busi, so do you agree that this system is quite socialist? and its outlook and in its way of trying to address the issue of health provision for all. Definitely a socialist strategy, but with high capitalistic returns, right? So so I think that's when Ricardo was talking about how media looks at it. And I said, you just need someone to twist it in capitalism's favor, right? A healthy workforce. What does that mean for your business? It means that people are not staying home because they've got like flu. It means that people are healthier and working for you harder. Like, I just think sometimes it's about the lens through which you want to argue for or against something and I do think that a healthier workforce, a healthier population in general has higher economic returns than one that is not. In South Africa's case actually tens of billions are in reserves in the private sector when looking at health expenses so if anything this is not going to really hit them that hard initially while we go through the hiccups, is it? Yeah, I think so. They've, they've mentioned that and they've mentioned the road accident fund as, pre, as places where they'll go looking for funding. But I think my concern in terms of funding, I think in the short run, we might be able to put it off. But I think in the long run, we need to consider how we'll keep financing it. So that's also been a, a point of um, discussion here in the United Kingdom with constantly this debate about, you know, is it... Feasible. Even though it's been 70 years, you'd be surprised that people still feel like it's not a feasible project to fund. 
Um, so I think that's where we need to really focus on because I think in the short run we can make it happen. Of course, there are too many foreigners in the UK, so why would it be a feasible project to run? But foreigners pay. We've got a fee. Foreigners pay. I paid for the NHS before I came here. Yeah, but it doesn't belong to you ultimately. It doesn't. But at the same time, it's and I and I think this is the same. I heard something in South Africa the other day saying that the the health system is bad because there's so many foreigners. I'm just like, wow, guys. So, but this is the thing with the United Kingdom. They we can say that foreigners are accessing the system and so forth, but at the same time, there's systems in place. As a foreigner in the UK, I've paid an NHS fee. As a foreigner in the UK, I pay higher fees than local students, right? Four times higher as an undergrad, right? When we measure the contributions, I think it's unfair to just consider what is a foreigner contributing to just the healthcare system. We need to look at it more of a holistic way. Ricardo, you get to put on your haterade for Trump and kind of explain to us, is this what the problem was, at least from a Trump perspective when it came to universal health care, seeing that that was the attempt with the Obamacare? Donald Trump doesn't know anything about health care at all. <laughs> First of all, all he doing is a Barack Obama policy that he wanted to get rid of. And he, he wants to... <sighs> I don't even know how to answer the question because... <laughs> Honestly, Donald Trump has done nothing to either improve upon... This man likes Trump so much he can't even answer a question. Mm. I, I, don't know if the an- I don't know if the question has an answer, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, because it's not strictly a Donald Trump thing. Donald Trump realized that the ultra-right wing, you know, that he... Uh, essentially appealed to during his election didn't like Obamacare mainly because it was Obamacare and they felt it was a handout and for some reason the United States often equate social welfare to charity and something that should be scorned but that's because the United States is a capitalist society, though. The ultra-conservatives uh, benefit just as much from national health care or, or, or Obamacare than anyone else. Poor people do not pay taxes as much as they do. They pay in their labor. But see, that's the thing. Most of his support base are not rich, well-to-do white folks. They're, generally speaking, less educated, poor white people. The people who... St- Statistically speaking, drain the system more than people of color. <laughs> so they're shooting themselves in the foot just for some delusion of grandeur, essentially. Do you see the return of a universal health policy in America in the years to come? I actually do. Um, because we're coming up to a crisis point in the next 10, 15 years where a lot of our social safety nets medicare social security are going to run out of money the butcher bill is going to come due and people are going to realize eventually i can't afford to go to the doctor anymore and then they're going to look for alternatives and voila we have this obamacare thing that we've been trying to dismantle the last 15 years and they're going to go back to that let me understand you correctly, though. Are you saying the so- social welfare is going to run out or there's going to be some kind of problem in relation to that in 10, 15 years' time? And then if that's the case, then how is universal health care possible? 
in such a scenario? I think one thing that we're going to see in the future is, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot in the future, we're going to see a lot less defense spending. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the money coming from. So as it is right now, we have an issue where, and this is where immigration plays into it too. We have so many retirees now that there isn't enough healthy young people paying into the system. That's why the money's truly running out. It's a lack of young people <clears throat> paying into a system. That that's that's where the deficit is really starting to show. Does employment or unemployment have anything to do with that? The lack of young people paying into the system? No, not really, because unemployment I think is under four percent in the United States. So it's not a question of there's not enough people to pay into the system. It's the people who are paying in now in the next ten years, they won't be there. Where's the youth coming in? You know? There's just a deficit. It's not to the level of Japan where there's definitely a senior crisis there, but it's definitely trending that way. I believe that black people are the most hit by the Trump administration's reluctance to have this universal health care at this point in time. Uh, what kind of advocacy is happening at grassroots level? Or are people quite content with the idea that I'm receiving my social welfare check, so what's the big deal? I haven't seen a specific groundswell of black advocacy about nationalized healthcare or just fixing the healthcare system. It, it, you know, I don't think many black people look at it specifically as a black issue, although it does affect black people and people of color improportionately to their white counterparts just because black people earn less for doing the same things, right? So you have a black man or a black woman or especially a black woman, you know, who holds a position in a company um you know she earns on average something like uh, uh, 75 percent on the dollar of her male specifically white male counterparts right so the black dollar goes less when it comes to health care so Bushy, do you think the recent global outlook in terms of neoliberal practices coming under scrutiny in most countries at least in europe and africa and asia do you think this kind of resistance is leading towards people actually now realizing the importance of these kind of social issues um health care um, food security etc etc i'd actually say that um these things have actually been a part of who we would consider as having driven the neoliberal agenda so initially like just kind of contextualize how aid has worked so at first aid was about large infrastructure projects then they realized that this wasn't happening you know forcing people to change their policies and then they realized well all of this is causing poverty so now we need to address poverty and then there were all these other social things happening so if you look at for instance like because when we think of neoliberal policy we think of how neoliberal policies spread through aid because by receiving aid you have to implement certain policies so you see that recently there's been more aid being channeled into healthcare and um, education so I'd actually say that it's part and parcel of the neoliberal agenda now whether 
for instance yes we all want everyone to be educated but actually when you look at the literature sometimes you realize that the returns are not as what we expect them to be so even though these are desirable things i think how we're going about it is not necessarily especially if we're going about it through the neoliberal lens it's not necessarily yielding the results that we want at a global scale and you would accept as well that some people don't necessarily view neoliberal as a means at which they can improve their lives so in other words it's about more capitalist gains than anything else and hence they find themselves in a situation there is i mean look at south africa for example so i think sometimes we tend to say that capitalism and neoliberalism are like the same thing but they're actually different things right so you can have neoliberal capitalism but you can also have like state led capitalism which is kind of what the asian economies did which is the government basically through their own directive means creates capitalism or creates wealth through wealth right so that's what capitalism means i do think that neoliberal policy is failing in many ways but at the same time i think it's difficult to attribute that to capitalism per se because i think there's a lot that's happened in our economies over the last You mean neoliberalism? In neoliberalism, sorry. Yeah, so we've gone from liberalism to neoliberalism to, you know, what I mean. It's really hard to attribute what's making the system fail, what's really making people poor, and we can identify certain policies. Thank you for joining us for the 13th episode of The Thinking Behind It All. Remember that you can join the conversation on Facebook, The Thinking Behind It All, that's our page, The Thinking Behind It All, or you can join the discussion on Twitter at ttbia underscore, at ttbia underscore. Please tell your friends, family and colleagues to give us a listen and have an opinion on what we say we really appreciate all the feedback that we've been receiving please continue supporting us until next week your silence is concession sharp <laughs>